From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 80. Today's show is brought to you by Braintree and Peacock. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Federico Vitici. Good morning, Federico. Good morning, Mr. Mike Hurley. And good evening, Mr. Stephen Hackett. I think you have that backwards. Yeah, kind of. I think it's morning for Stephen and evening for me, Mike, but, you know, time zones, what are you going to do? Well, you know, I'm just treating you. People could be listening at any time, you know? You're right, yeah. So I was trying to give the illusion of there being no fixed time. Yeah, want to give me a good night, Mike? I mean, if you're paying. (laughs) 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 Okay, let's move to follow-up. Stephen, what is an 80th anniversary? What what do we give for an 80th? Oh, we have to look it up. Guess we never do this in advance. Nope. 80th anniversary. Uh, my my bet is on uh, some type of uh, I don't know. I'm gonna say ruby or something. Ruby? No, I'm gonna say sapphire. Okay. Okay. Because of Pokemon. I'm trying to find the the site we always get we always use for this. Th- there's a site we always go to. Uh, it's <laughs> it's usually pretty high in the results, but uh, this really? is on ask.com, so it's probably right. Yep. Traditionally, oak, the wood, is used in place of gems or precious metals because the oak tree takes a long period of time to commit and commitment to reach fuel full maturity. Like Professor Oak. Uh, yes. <laughs> I was thinking that. <laughs> yes, but uh, in no way is that the same thing. So, uh, congratulations, guys. I got you this oak tree. Hooray. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Anyways, we should talk about our follow-up. We've been speaking now for several weeks about <laughs> uh, iOS app release notes. And the follow-up last week brought up this idea that... Um, you know, big companies, uh, some reasons big companies may use what we will call vague uh, release notes. And uh, several people wrote in, I'm going to give Matthew the credit because um, I think he put it the most clearly in his email, saying that companies like Twitter and Facebook use feature flags to enable new functionality in a rollout. So uh, we see this in the Twitter client pretty often where they'll enable like video upload or something to a small subset of users. And they're not doing it through a new app release, but what they do is they have that functionality built in they release it into the app and then through feature flags they basically turn it on uh as they wish and they also use you know th- uh, twitter especially uses a lot of a b testing in their app which i think is a little i think they're toning it back now a little bit i think it was pretty out of control for a while there um so in this uh, particular instance it would be misleading right to say oh this update includes video uploads well if you're only rolling that out to a subset of users at a time, you can't put it in your release notes, right? Are people going to be leaving you bad reviews? Are going to be contacting you on support saying, hey, I don't have this thing that you promised me in the release notes. Um, so I can see this. I can see this being a reason to be uh, a little vague in your release notes. Now, I, I like I said, particularly think Twitter especially has been guilty of overdoing this sort of thing in the past, but uh, I think that's a, a relatively reasonable reason to to have vague release notes. Um, Federico, I was particularly interested in what you thought about this. I'm always annoyed when I see these companies saying that they do staged rollouts of new features. I I understand why. Uh, Like when you're a company like Facebook and you have 
I don't know how many billions of users, probably one billion. Uh, it's, I mean, I can understand that the problems with rolling out a feature to, you know, a billion people at once. It's just very poorly communicated on the App Store. Like, there's a, there's a contrast between going to the App Store and seeing every week... Uh, we make the app better for everyone, you know, uh, and then you you go on the verge and you see Facebook is launching reactions. And you're like, okay, uh, so it must be on the update that I just downloaded, but it's not. So it's a little confusing. And I mean, I understand why they do this. I just wish you know, just write your release notes better, at least inform people, you know, in couple of weeks you're going to see this. I mean, I don't have to go on the verge to read about this stuff early. I, I don't know. Maybe people don't care. Maybe people don't care at all. I don't know. I, I mean, that's the the flip side of all this, right? That um, this sort of misleading of you know A/B testing and everything that uh, it, maybe it wouldn't be a big deal because people don't re- don't read release notes, and especially now when did it start, did it start with the iOS eight, the automatic app update? Um, I think there's a lot of times where people don't even know their app got updated, right? So uh, the whole conversation can be sort of underpinned with the idea that maybe fewer and fewer people actually see these things but it's it's still i thought it was an interesting point brought up by matthew up next in the uh uh follow-up uh thomas asked me if i did if i had tried the pebble time round thomas's argument is that uh it looks like a normal watch at a glance which is something that i like about the uh the wythings watch that i'm wearing and uh, that it's fast and focused, which <laughs> is a subtle, sick Apple Watch burn. And uh, I have not, I have not looked at the Pebble time round. I backed Pebble, like their original Kickstarter, back in like was it 2012 or something. And uh, it was fine. Like the original Pebble, I think, was ahead of its time. I particularly don't like the look of the Pebble time round. Um, and the Pebble has the same like core problem I have with the Apple Watch is that glanceable information just isn't that important to me in my life anymore. And um, and really what I like is something that looks nice in my estimation, and I like the step counting. So I think the Pebble Time Round is, is an interesting product. I think Pebble probably long-term has some issues, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, I think it, I think it is men- worth mentioning as an alternative if the Apple Watch specifically isn't for you, but you do want, you know, say some notifications or a couple other things uh, coming to your wrist. Don't like the look of that one. The, the bezel's huge, like it's huge, and it's really obvious in its hugeness. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of of that one. In all honesty, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look good. <laughs> Yeah, no. it's not their best-looking product. No. So we're going to talk a little bit about Siri later on in the show, but uh, we, I did want to touch uh, base on the uh, the Amazon Echo. Um, about last time, we've added one to our household, and it's really taken off. Um, I I gauge how my family members use things. It's sort of like a you know most nerds do this, right? We experiment on our loved ones who are normals, and. Um, so far, the Echo has has made a pretty good dent. I will say that um, our kids have heard us talking to it and now try to make it do funny things or like try to like talk to it. And of course, you know, most of the time they're just talking silliness, so it just kind of blinks at them. But I, I find it sort of adorable that uh, my kids try to make Alexa do things. Um, 
And Federico, you you've put Alexa to work with time zones, right? Yeah, yeah, and a lot of people corrected me on Twitter because people love to correct you. Um, so I, I was just working, and I needed to do a quick time zone conversion. And I'm sorry, guy who said on Twitter that I should have done the calculation in my head, but apparently I'm stupid. Uh, I, I just, you know, I wanted a computer to help me, so I was like, you know, I should just ask Alexa. And I was like, Alexa, what's uh, like? Uh, I think 5 p.m. San Francisco, uh, 5 p.m. Um, Pacific time in Rome, Italy. And in w- one second, Alexa replied, it, uh, you know, it's like 2 a.m. in Rome or something. And that was great because I, I didn't think about formatting my question in any specific way. And just out of curiosity, I asked Siri the same question and initially I uh, didn't understand. Then later, it did understand the question. I still don't know whether it's been fixed in those couple of hours or maybe if it's just the way that it interprets the verb. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, I think if you say what's, it's you get an error. If you say what is, it works. All right. <laughs> and, oh, oh, gosh. <laughs> but it, apparently it always works if you say convert. Okay. Let's try it, shall we? Okay, try it. What is 7 p.m. Pacific time in Rome? Okay, so it's taking that in. Checking Check- my sources. Oh, there we go. Checking my okay, sources. I found this. All right, so the result is 4 a.m. C-E-T. See the the amount the amount of time that it takes to check his sources and to show you the response on screen. Alexa, in one second, uh, spoke the answer back to me. Here's the th- here's my issue with this: is it's using Waltham Alpha. This is a relatively simple question. Siri yeah. should be giving me that answer immediately in, in voice. Yeah, that's in my opinion what it should be doing, um, rather than showing me it on screen. Let's try it the other way. What's 7 p.m. Pacific time in Rome? It's Tuesday, the 1st of March. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's Tuesday. I don't understand how... You, because do you know what it heard that time? It, the same question, what is 7 p.m.? Which is what I asked the first time. But because I said what's, it tells me the date. Yeah. I don't even That's... understand how that question could give the answer of the date. I have no idea. Mike. I've had this issue with Siri um, in regards to time zone conversion a bunch of times because I do it quite a lot, uh, and I I really just fail to understand how that isn't a an answer like a, an answer that Apple are coding in, you know, and making part of the UI like they do some other things, uh, rather than making it beatbox for me. That's fantastic, but why don't you actually give me the functionality that I'm looking for? And it's not like they've got to go build it, right? I mean, they have. It's one of the things that's really frustrating. Uh, to me about all of this is that the the phone iOS does this in the clock app like it's it's not like they they have to go build some system to like calculate time they already have it like why not tap yeah. into what's already part of iOS they have a world clock <laughs> it's yeah. there yes they even stole the design from somebody like just go use it it's not hard <sighs> anyways mike you bought a phone yeah see whilst all you guys are going out and buying echoes i marched the beat my own drum and I buy what I want to buy because I I don't join the Amazon cult like you. No suckers. one, no one is forcing you. Why are you making these? You debates? guys, I would, <laughs> I would ask people to you know to go and listen to last week's episode. I'm sure at some point you both were trying to convince me to get an Echo. 
So you don't want this one I bought you as a gift? Wow, Mike. Oh. You have, you have a dear friend buying you Amazon speakers and you, mm-hmm. you refuse to accept the gift. Wow, well done. Anyway, you bought an Did Android Did you really phone. buy me one or are you just trying to make me feel bad? <laughs> I'm just trolling you. Yeah. Figured. Uh, yeah, I have been wanting to get a new Android device for a while. Um, the previous Nexus device that I had got lost somewhere in Australia. Uh, not by me. Um, and I've decided that I wanted to go ahead and get one of the better phones. Uh, there are, uh, you know, because I, I could have gone for a 5X, uh, but I've heard complaints about the 5X from a performance perspective. And I, I basically wanted this for a couple of reasons. I wanted to have a good understanding of what Android is like now. I like to try and keep up with what's happening. Um, and also I wanted to have a device that was ready to try and test some of Google's podcast store thing that they have launching at some point. Uh, because I have Apple devices to test what our shows look like there, and if we go into the Google Store, I want to see what that's like there as well. So I decided that the time was right, and I went ahead and purchased a Nexus 6P. I have not really had enough time to play around with the device yet. Uh, I'm very impressed with everything that I have tried. One of uh, kind of two observations that I have, um, the Nexus 6P's hardware is great, um, including the fingerprint sensor on the back. I actually think that that is an ingenious design and it's a real interesting place to put a fingerprint sensor. Um, it feels like a very natural place to have it. Uh, my other observation is that material design um, on Android features a lot of the whimsy that I think is lost in iOS now. Mm. Come at me, haters! Like a lot of the animations and shadows, that kind of stuff. Animations, shadows, and just general design things that feel superfluous, but go to making a nice experience. Um, I don't think we have a lot of that anymore in iOS. It's there in places, but overall, I think that material design is doing a better job of, of animations and things like that than iOS is right now. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's really nice, and I I like what you said about the fingerprint reader. I have the 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 little sibling of this, the Nexus Five X, because uh, I like you, and it's helpful for me at work to have an Android device around. And uh, for people like us who aren't going to necessarily switch to it, but kind of need to keep up with it, the Nexus phones are the the obvious choice. And uh, I really like the fingerprint reader on the back. It's I don't know about the Six P, but on the Five X, it's it's basically exactly where my finger would be, anyways. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it's just really nice, and you know the 6P is definitely nicer built than the 5X. But um, if you're looking, you know, for a stock Android experience, it's really the I think the the probably the 6P is the best phone on the market for it. And it does the fingerprint reader does something that I wish the iPhone did. Um, it unlocks the phone without you needing to turn the screen on. Mm-hmm. So oh, you press nice. your finger on the reader, and the phone unlocks, which oh. feels as soon as it happened, I was like. This is what it should be like. <laughs> that feels like feels better. It's amazing how much faster it feels. It's like my, even the 5X, which is, you know, it's not a super high-end phone. It feels like it unlocks so much faster than my 6S Plus because of you're just skipping that little step. Yeah. The, the fingerprint reader itself, I don't think, is faster. But the fact that you don't need to do that step makes it feel that way. And sometimes that's all it takes. Exactly. 
So I want to uh, spend more time with it, and I'll have some more thoughts about this device that I'll share um, uh, somewhere a little later on. But right now, it's here, and, and it's doing stuff. Now, what hap- what happens, Mike, if you end up liking Android, or at least the modern Android, a lot better than iOS? There was a time where that was the case for me. Uh, I was an I switched to Android a couple of years ago for like six months or something like that. I because, think I remember that. Yeah. Um, I am. I know I'm in a problem right now because I thought about it. I thought about like, oh, uh, what what would it be like to maybe switch to Android again for a few months to really mm-hmm. kind of understand it. Um. But the problem is the tablet situation. Yeah. There, there are no really good Android tablets. Um, even Google's new one is suffering from uh, a lack of tablet innovation in the software side. Like, you know, you, you now I'm so used to split screen, like you can't do split screen apps in, in the current version of, in, of Android. So it would be difficult, let alone expensive, for me to make that switch now. Um, but I won't rule anything out. I, I want to spend more time with it. Like at some point, maybe after I finish with this little bit of traveling, I'm about to start doing. Um, I might throw my SIM in the six P for a bit and just see how it rolls. Yeah, maybe if you use you know online services instead of you know local apps with no sync, the transition between an iPad Pro and a six P would be actually possible. You know, Slack, Twitter, email. Yeah. Those are on both platforms. It is getting easier and easier to make those moves. It really is. It's going to be a problem with Apple Notes, you know, if you don't use Safari, so you don't have the Safari problem. I think it's more possible today than ever, with the exception for a few Apple apps. But you can replace them. You can replace them. I mean, instead of Apple Notes, you could use... uh, Oh, wow. What what can you use? Evernote? (laughs) I guess Um, I could use Evernote. There will be um, Android note-taking apps that that we don't know. Yeah, you know, but they will exist for sure. For sure, I'm just thinking about you know having the same notes on the on your iPad Pro and the 6P. Yeah, but, if I wanted the same, then I would uh, then I would move to something like yeah, like Evernote yeah, yeah. again or Simple Note. Simple Note exists yep. on both still platforms. around. Yeah, still yeah, around. Okay. Still still kicking, man. I don't know what it's doing, nice. but it's still there. <laughs> I mean, either nice. There might even be a weird app that will let me sync my notes. Like there are weird Android apps that I've used that let you sync contacts and calendars with iCloud. Hmm. I don't okay. want to know how it's <laughs> doing it, but I've I've used them, so I'll dig around. But yeah, this this will be a discussion for for a later show, I think. Uh, before we move out of follow up, we have some. This is a we need a new word for this. We have follow up. We have follow out. We follow in. Um, this is follow up to a sponsor read. So I don't know what this is. <laughs> um, oh well, this can be um, sponsor up. Sponsor up. So follow money money follows so this is regarding the uh the, the pdf pin ads that we do for our friends at smile and we have uh, asked each other numerous times without looking it up what bates numbering is and so we asked uh david sparks co-host of mac power users and uh attorney at law and uh david basically uh, explained that bates numbering is basically like a uuid for paper to kind of use a term that uh, we'll be familiar with and so basically it's page numbering so you start with a prefix so in this example the prefix would be relay and it basically everything you produce ha- gets a unique number and so uh, it, it basically generates an audit trail so when someone else says oh you didn't give me that document you could reply yes look go look at relay dash zero three four six two and these numbers are generated automatically when you create uh files within this project and they're it seems like 
a bunch of different software can do it. PDF pen does it. That's what Bates numbering means. It is fancy. It is for uh, uh, business paperwork. And uh, David Spark set us straight. So there you go. Case case solved. I don't know this, and it would be funny if this was the case. Like I feel like this may have been put into PDF pen for David. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> that is, maybe that's the story we'll never find out the answer to. All right, let's see if this uh, sponsor regenerates any follow-up. Today's episode is also brought to you by Braintree Code for easy online payments. If you're a mobile app developer, you should be checking out Braintree. They are the payment solution used by companies and apps that you use every day, like Uber, Airbnb, Hotel Tonight, Living Social, Montreal, and many, many more. Braintree has made the payment experiences in these apps seamless and magical, and you can now add a similar experience to your own app as well. With excellent customer service and simple integrations, Braintree gets you ready to receive payments quickly. Braintree has continuous support and also these fast payouts. This means that you're going to be able to be prepared as your company grows from your first dollar to your billionth. Braintree is also helping solve the problem of mobile cart abandonment by offering a best-in-class mobile checkout experience. They make payment experiences in some of your favorite apps seamless and magical. When you combine that with the mobile checkout experience, that basically means that people aren't going to your site or going into your app and leaving. You know, they put something in the cart and go away. Braintree, because like maybe it's a difficult experience, Braintree make this easy and they make it simple. They make it beautiful. And you can now add these experiences to your own apps as well. Braintree is a full stack payment solution with support for all payment types your customers might be looking for, including PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo, cards, and more. It's with you across all platforms with superior fraud protection, fantastic customer service, and those very important fast payouts. To learn more for your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free, head on over to braintreepayments.com slash Connected. Thank you to Braintree for their support of this show. So for, for Topic Zero this week, I wanted to talk about the the Mac Mini real quick. This, this sort of spurred on from an article uh, by Brian over at Mac Mini Colo. It's basically saying that if you have a certain generation of Mac Mini, like mid-2010, 2011, 2012, that sort of era of machine, that it's actually really affordable to to upgrade those computers now. So the current Mac Mini you can go buy today, uh, it does not have a quad-core model at the top. These, these older ones did. And the lack of upgradability is an issue. You can't upgrade the RAM in the new ones. You can kind of do the drives, but only sort of, um, which is really frustrating to me. But, I, you know, we talked about the Mac Mini a long time ago in context of, you know, Federico maybe needing to replace his MacBook Air at some point. Uh, as we talked about a lot, you can't podcast currently on ios and so you're using a macbook air for that that is uh seen better days we'll leave it at that mm-hmm. um yeah. had, had you thought any more about replacing it with a mac mini do you still think that's a good fit or are you just holding on as long as you can um you know the death cap for cutie song the line when it says love is watching someone die oh my god that's my relationship with my Mac- macbook air so wow that's a super sad <laughs> song so thanks for that <laughs> Sorry, so um, I use um, I've got a, several Mac Minis I have this outlined in my article we have one that if you're listening live it's right now you're listening through a Mac Mini it's hosted at Mac Mini Colo uh, we have one I've got a personal one there as well for some backups and some server stuff that I 
uh, play with. And then we have one at home that serves up iTunes library and a big file volume. And then it's hooked up to our television as well for the occasional stuff that we can't do through the Apple TV. The Mac Mini is just on HDMI uh, number two. And uh, they're great machines. And all of mine are older. I don't have any of the current ones. I've got like 2011s and I think one 2012 machine in my little Mac Mini Army. And they really are great. The one at home, I've got SSD in. And uh, you can't tell the machine's five years old. It really is um, uh, pretty spectacular. And and for me, you know, it's it's an interesting commentary on like how good computers are now like that you can have a mac mini from 2011 which you know maybe you spent 800 dollars on you know it's not a mac pro it's not an imac it's a, it's a mac mini and if you bought it well spec or if you upgrade it uh, it's still perfectly fine for what most people need out of their computer most of the time and i wonder if this migration to you know ram that's soldered on like the, take the retina macbook pro you can't do anything in that machine. You can't do anything in a MacBook Air. It's all part of the logic board. And um, uh, and even though the Air, I think the Air does have an SSD you can swap out. It's a custom part. It's hard to get. It's expensive. And I just wonder that if, if you know, this means that Macs will last um, shorter amounts of time in the future because you can't upgrade. Or if, if the computers we can buy today are so good that as long as you buy it well specced, you know, it'll last just as long. And, um, you know, I know that I can go a lot longer between upgrading computers and, and I have family members who are using computers that are older and older and they're fine and they just keep on running. And um, I think that's an interesting like parallel conversation to what we talk about with the iPad, that the iPad has been so good for so long that people just don't see the need to to upgrade to new hardware. But um, I don't know, it's just a little interesting article that, that Brian wrote up about grand prices and stuff and it kind of kicked off this whole train of thought in my head. So I don't follow uh, Max, <laughs> you know, the, the OS 10 in particular anymore. Uh, but I just wonder, and this is maybe going to sound controversial to a lot of people, but is the, is the era of, you know, taking a peek under the hood of a computer and upgrading components over? And I mean this in the sense that uh, at least I and other friends and people that I know... Uh, I see people, they buy computers and most of them don't care, you know, about, uh, is this a computer that I'm going to be able to, you know, upgrade the RAM or, you know, change the SSD for something better. And uh, in the same sense, you know, that used to be a must, if you will, to know how a car worked, to know what an engine was like, to know what you, what you were supposed to do if a car broke down. And I would argue that uh, most young people who drive or buy cars today, uh, when the car breaks down, they just call a number and they don't know how to fix it. I mean, personally, I don't even know how to change a tire. Like, if a, if a tire breaks, uh, I'm gonna call, you know, the emergency number. And you could argue that I'm stupid and that, you know, I should know better. Uh, but it's just, I don't want to know how this stuff works. I don't need to know how this mechanical stuff works with my car. Um, I could, I could make the same argument with a computer. So for people like Steven, it's going to be problematic when a, when a Mac mini can no longer be upgraded. 
But for most people, uh, as long as you're like, I need a computer, I go to the store, I need a box that I, that I need to connect to a monitor or I need to buy a laptop. I don't care about, you know, am I going to be able to change the RAM in the future? Just give me a computer. I don't care. And in this sense, computers are becoming more and more like smartphones and tablets. You just pick your comp- configuration up front and you're good to go for the next few years. Yeah, I think I think that is exactly what's happening. And uh, I think while it bugs people like me that overall, for the general computing public, that it's good that computers have become not only simpler, but also much more reliable. You know, things like um, SSDs are much more reliable than spinning hard drives. We've gotten rid of the optical drive. As Apple has stripped away moving parts, and as processors have gotten better, computers are more reliable and uh, more current longer than ever. And I think that's good. I think that is that computers like cars should be something that we can depend on no matter what. And that, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to own a car, you had to um, know how to fiddle with it, right? That Because in, in all likelihood, you at some point you were going to be broken down or at some point you were going to have to do something. And as cars have gotten more reliable, that's gone away. And, uh, while that does bother me, I think overall it's great. I really do. So just quickly on the Mac Mini, I have one of these in a closet, right? One of the 2011 ones, I think. It is a 2011 one, isn't it, that I have? Like I literally so. in a closet? Yeah, it was what I was using before I moved to a Mac Pro. Okay. And then onto the iMac. Um, I have been thinking, and we will talk about this later, about turning that into a home server. You should do that. I have been considering it. Plex being one of the things that I'm looking for. Yeah. You could make your own Synology without actually having a Synology in a way, you know? Yep. Jason does this, and mm-hmm. and I think it's an excellent choice, especially because you know, yeah. of course, OS ten gives you more freedom. There are some excellent apps to connect from iOS, you know, like screens, file managers. You you should do it, Mike. You should do it and go crazy. It's super fun. Yeah, I'm planning on it. It's just again, it's like another big task that I don't want to do right now, but I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna do it. Uh, I think it'll be. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. You should. I um, I mean, the, the, our TV Mac Mini, like I said, doubles as a file server, and I've got you know some scripting running on it all the time, and it's just it's nice to have something that's always uh, available, especially if you have a lot of stuff that relies on things like Dropbox. You know, you you know that's always synced one central place. You can set your photos. I mean, the possibilities are endless, so it's it is nice. Um, the Mac Mini is definitely that's a role that it fits for a lot of people, and and Apple's even done that. Uh, for several years now, they've offered a server configuration. Sometimes it just means they put OS 10 server on it. Sometimes it means it has a second hard drive and more RAM. But whatever it is, um, they have pitched the Mac Mini to small businesses uh, as a server product. And um, there's a bunch of people who use them that way because they're silent and there's no impact on your electrical bill to have it on 24-7. And it's, um, like I said, it's become machine that can last longer and longer as they've gotten more powerful so i think you should do it i'll let you know how it goes along and or ask you to tell me what to do so i could just come over and do it yeah you should do that business trip so we're going to talk a little bit uh about about siri this week and this is sort of jumping off a a rumor that's been floating around that mac os 10 at 10.12 which 
God, the naming's out of control. Um, when I when me and Jason started talking about this on upgrade, I did that exact same thing. I yeah. I read ten point twelve and was like, oh, <laughs> really? They got to change it. Um, so I do like just as a quick, uh, you know, off topic. I do like um, a theory uh, that I've seen from Graham, from you know, uh, my friend at Maxorix. Uh, he says so. This year they're gonna do. Uh, OS 10 10.12 and iOS 10 and next year they could do iOS 11 and OS macOS 11 you know yeah time together yeah it's another they reason get- to, to you know what I mean like there are many things that they could do right um, like this could be the time when they go they change it to Mac OS because they have watch OS and TV OS yeah. but that one also makes sense right like there are a bunch of little things now which make sense and I think it's just based upon us all wanting that to change yeah I can, <laughs> and I couldn't imagine the marketing campaign next year both iOS and Mac OS go up to go to 11 you know turn it to 11 yep. turn it up to 11 mm-hmm. that could be nice We'll see. Uh, anyway, Craig Federici is not going to let that joke go by unmade. <laughs> like like he just can't do it. <laughs> it's the most dad joke of all. He'll probably make it this year about next year and then make it two times next year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I don't even know where we were. So anyway, so Siri coming to the Mac. Um, uh, rumored to be maybe even a, a tent pole feature and, you know, another in the long list of things that start on iOS and the Mac just sort of gets later which is interesting uh, topic in and of to itself. But um, uh, I kind of wanted to bypass that a little bit and talk about Siri itself. And um, uh, Ed Cormany is a, a guy I follow on Twitter. He does a couple of podcasts. And um, he wrote this thing that I thought was really interesting about Siri fragmentation. I thought it was an interesting way to start the conversation. Um, so in this post, he's talking about using the Apple TV uh, to watch, I believe it was a tennis match, and he's asking Siri questions as he's watching. So he wants to know like the weather uh, of where this match is, and then he wants to see the surf speeds. They're reported in kilometers per hour uh, on the broadcast, but he's he's American and wants to know what it is in miles per hour. And he asks Siri on the Apple TV, and Siri can't do the unit conversion. Now, of course, Siri can do that unit conversion on iOS. And it seems like Apple decided that, oh, well, unit conversion is not something we want people to do on the Apple TV or uh, it'll never be an issue and uh, it's never going to come up. So let's just remove it. And uh, I just found that as an interesting jumping off point that, um, you know, what could Siri do uh, on the Mac? And what what I'm afraid Apple would do is basically just port iOS Siri, right? That it does everything that iOS Siri does and nothing... Um, nothing else while in reality i think that siri on os 10 is an opportunity to expand what siri can do and and let siri do things new and specifically for the mac that don't make sense on ios and i think that would be i think that would be great i mean i do think there should be some sort of base layer you know i think siri should be able to unit unit conversion wherever siri is like that's just silly that it can't do that on the tv but um I think it would be nice to see Siri, if it comes to the Mac, have some additional features. I think there should kind of be two layers of Siri from a functionality perspective. So there should be asking Siri a question. So asking Siri for information, that layer should be the same everywhere. And then on top of that, you have asking Siri to perform actions 
and then that should be platform specific. Yeah, that's a good right. point. Yeah. Is it right. it doesn't make sense to ask Siri to find the most recent episode of Community on your iPhone. Well, it does make a lot more sense on the Apple TV. Exactly. So I think what it seems like at the moment Apple are doing is building a new instance of Siri on each device. That because Siri on the Apple TV doesn't even cannot currently even perform functions that it should be able to that an iPhone can do, like playing a song from anywhere on the device. Now, there shouldn't if they're using the same Siri layer, why should it not be able to do that, right? So like it would appear to me that, that it seems like they're kind of building it over and over again for whatever reason you need to do something like that. But so I think it would be really nice if they could just be like, right, this is what Siri can do everywhere. We've got that locked down. This is asking questions, asking information, asking news, and they need to build the appropriate UIs on each platform to deal with that. And then they have the specific things. So like asking on iOS for it to launch a specific application, asking it on the Mac to turn on brightness or something you know like there should be these then functions that exist on each specific platform that are relatable to the platforms that they're on i think the main point uh right now is that it's really time for apple to open up third-party integrations to you know with siri uh we're seeing this uh you know in in other competing products the amazon echo as a probably the best or the richest uh assistant with the third-party service and app integrations uh just today uh soundhound you know the shazam like service uh opened up to the public the the latest uh, hound assistant which has been in beta for android i think for almost seven eight months maybe uh now it's available on ios and they do some really impressive um, natural language processing so it, it supports a lot more uh conjunctions you know, between sentences, uh, you can be a lot more specific uh, when you ask hounds uh, some questions. And they do uh, some integration with third-party companies. There's a Uber integration. Uh, I believe there's uh, something else also for maybe music. I don't know. Uh, it's probably richer on Android. You may remember uh, Hound from that video where people were asking, what is a 1% interest rate on a mortgage from a house bought in Toronto. You know, would you remember that? Like yeah, it, it was people, super just complex those query. crazy complex questions and it was just yeah. giving the answers. That that was hound. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm playing around with it. And the more I use the Amazon Echo, the more I look at Google Now. You know, it's not an assistant. It just presents you with the visual cards. But the idea is the same, to integrate with third-party apps and services to show you and to to show you information from those apps in a, in a more intelligent way, in a dashboard, you know, that kind of presentation, and to allow you to speak commands for third-party apps. So I think it's really time for Apple to open up the Siri API. It's been, you know, five years years since uh, we first had Siri on the iPhone 4S and uh, I guess it's starting to feel a little old you know it's nice you can ask Siri questions and it's excellent for you know Apple Music messages timers that kind of native iOS stuff but it's more and more feeling like um like one of those things that Apple does just for themselves and it other companies are doing much much more and there's a huge undertaking here to come up with an API to uh, structure, you know, th- those integrations in, in, a, in a way that makes sense for developers and for users. Uh, just think about it. How are you going to ask Siri to create a new task? 
you cannot say create a new task because because it can get confusing, you know, with reminders and say OmniFocus on the same device. So you have to use OmniFocus as a keyword to say, okay, Siri, create a new task in OmniFocus. That makes sense. But then you have to allow developers to come up with a dictionary of keywords and commands, and you have to let developers, uh, you know, localize those commands in multiple languages. It's a huge challenge, but I believe that, you know, in order to take Siri to the next level, it has to happen. And it it's not just about launching apps, right? Because a lot of people, when when they think about the Siri API on iOS, they imagine this kind of uh, glorified URL scheme launcher where you just ask Siri to do stuff and Siri takes you to the app to perform that activity. But it's not like that. When you're thinking about the Siri API, what you really want is visual feedback in Siri also. When you create a reminder in Siri, it doesn't take you to the reminders app. It shows you a mini reminders interface in the... You know, in the Siri UI. And you want the same to be true for third-party integrations. So you want, for example, to have a to-do or OmniFocus UI right inside Siri, and you want the task that you create via Siri in OmniFocus to be shown to you in the Siri interface. So you also have to enable developers to perform all kinds of updates in the background when they receive new information from Siri. So at a technical level, it's a very, very huge change for developers. But it, it's one of those things that it's super tricky to do, but it you know it feels right. And maybe iOS 10 finally will be, you know, that kind of uh, update to bring uh, br- better Siri intelligence. And I can make other two arguments to conclude. It would be fantastic for accessibility, you know, to be able to speak to apps and to, uh, you know, create content or to access content from apps from a, from an accessibility perspective, and it would be just a boom for productivity and efficiency on the Apple Watch. Uh, to be able to interact with any apps via voice on the Apple Watch would be just, you know, that's what it needs to happen. Yeah, whether they're on the watch or not. Yeah. I'm reminded of... Um... I think it was iOS 4 with multitasking, right? Is that correct? Yes, yes. Uh, when they introduced multitasking originally, they were like, "These there are five things you can do, right? You, yes. Whatever, whatever those things were, I don't remember. But like audio playback, there's five things you can do in the background. I think it would be interesting to see something like that, or Apple, like there is X amount of things that as a developer you can plug into with Siri, and they are to do these things you know maybe it's like create a new entry of some description or yeah sure. it's like i'm thinking of like say it was a task management thing um you could say you know you can create a task with this api blah 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 blah. and then what i would really love to see then which i don't think apple would ever do would there for there to be a siri menu and i choose the app that does each thing so for example i would say if i just say create a task remember to get the milk out of the fridge or whatever that it would automatically go in OmniFocus because that's the application that I have assigned the Siri action create a task. Sure. That's what I would love it to do, but I don't see that. You want the ability to to set default apps for specific tasks and that's also another of those, you know, long-standing feature requests. Uh but uh, you know, I could also argue that if you look back at iOS 9 last year and even iOS 8 with handoff, the way that Apple, you know, Apple likes to play the long game in some cases. They come up with a feature that eventually is going to be used for a whole other engine or, you know, functionality of iOS. And I could say that the NS User Activity API 
API. You know, the, the API that lets developers specify points of interest in their apps. Um, it was used for handoff in iOS 8. So you could take, for example, a view in Reminders and open it in, in, on a, from an iPhone to, to the iPad. Or in iOS 9, the same API was used to index points of interest in an app. So you could search for uh, like steps in the in the spotlight page and it takes you to the steps view of the health app or you can search for an article and it takes you to that article in your uh, read later application of choice. Uh, the same API could be used to communicate with Siri, you know, this year with iOS 10. Uh, you could because Siri and because iOS knows those points of interest from from apps that you know supports the API, you could uh, access information from those points of interest. So you could say, "What's my latest article in Instapaper?" and he, and it gives you, you know, here's the article. Do you wanna do you wanna read it or do you wanna share it? You know, uh, it's uh, it's fun to consider w uh, the existing APIs and the way that they could be updated to take advantage of Siri. Uh, and for me, this realization of it's really time to have a, a more intelligent Siri. It was solidified uh, by the Amazon Echo because it's really, uh, you know, you can, you can, of course, you can integrate with third-party services, but you can also install skills. So skills on the Echo are like special features from uh, other services. Like there's a skill to match uh, lyrics from songs to uh, the, uh, the title of the song. And there's uh, hundreds of skills that you can install. And they make the Echo a lot more, you know, a lot smarter than other assistants. And uh, it really feels like Apple is, you know, falling behind in this regard. Yeah, I mean, you look at these other systems that are much more integrated, right? Like um, even on Android with the Google Now stuff, it's it's come such a long way and they're iterating so quickly on it. Siri feels so much slower and... It's one of those things that, you know, they it feels like they lock it into these iOS releases and uh, aren't introducing new things throughout the year. And, and so much with what Google does, it's just little tweaks over time. And it's a very different approach to, to these releases. But I think something like Siri is could, I don't think it is, I think it could be so central to how iOS works and operates. And right now it just feels still so many years on just feels like it's bolted on and yeah it's it's nice when it works but it's it's sort of strange a lot of the time and you can do so much uh, without it that it, it really just feels like this this layer on top of ios as opposed to this like integrated thing that runs throughout it yeah now just imagine if they do a siri beats speaker that it's like an amazon echo but for you know apple music siri and it and it listens to you around the house now would apple ever do that or is that too creepy for Apple to do? I don't think they're going to make an Echo competitor. Yeah, I mean, it, but it would be, I mean, it would be great. Just Because you that. know what they want? I know it doesn't work, but they want people just talking into their watches. Mm, probably. Because the watch is on you. But but music is not, you know, when you want to listen to music yeah. on a speaker. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're going to make it for that. But I mean, you know, I think it's worth remembering that the Echo's ability to play music and is is just a, like a afterthought of the fact that it's a speaker. I, I don't think it was ever built to play music. It was built for you to talk to it. Probably. Yeah, I guess. it's It was built to listen to you, really. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, and it plays music because it's a speaker. It's like, <laughs> it's like a... Uh, they're trying to, to sweeten the deal and make yeah. it less creepy by giving you music. <laughs> yeah. 
That, that's the way <laughs> I look at it because it's Amazon has a music thing, but they don't really they don't really do a lot with their music thing. Probably, yeah. I mean, it's I guess it it's just fun to imagine. I mean, because I want Apple to be as convenient. Sometimes I want Apple to be creepy as Google and Amazon. Uh, allow me the use of the word creepy in the sense that they know a lot about me and they can be more intelligent about, you know, these mm-hmm. uh, this smart features. But I know that it's not in Apple's DNA or whatever to do that kind of stuff. I just wish sometimes it was like, it's okay, Apple. I want you to know this stuff yeah. about me. You know, let me provide this information, <laughs> please. I'm, wi- I'm willingly giving up my information. Please do something with it and be useful. Like <laughs> here is a great example, and you've mentioned this before, Federico. Um, I uh, was in Google Now while setting up my uh, the the sec- the Nexus Six P, and it recognized that for me to get home, it would take X amount of time by public transport. Because I always search in Google Maps via public transport. The next day, I had a time to leave notification because of traffic. I never, I don't even have a car. And Apple's system doesn't know I use public transport because it doesn't let me tell it. And because it's not watching, it just tells me how to get to places by car. It's like this is, I think this shows a massive difference in the systems. It's like, I don't have a car. I'm never in a car. Google knows that. Apple doesn't. Google knows that because they peek at me. <laughs> but that's useful to me because then I'm not getting frustrated and looking around different views to get that information. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So get this. Um, Google figured out, because I keep the Google app installed on my iPhone, Google figured out that I that I usually go to the mall, uh, which is uh, the mall like five minutes away where the Apple Store also is. And the other day, it popped up uh, a card on Google Now, and it was like, "Do you want me to uh, to show you this card always because you frequently go to this place?" I'm like, "Yes, please. Shows show me traffic because I want to know." Like, mm-hmm. um, I know that some people are like, "Oh my God, Google knows my address," and I used to be one of those people, and and I I think I made very public amends to to, you know, what I used to believe, and, and uh, but I feel like there's a there's a there's a it's a positive aspect to 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 grow up and you know change your opinion because I now understand that the convenience of giving up uh, my habits, yes, of course, big deal. Google knows that I go to the mall. Well, okay. Uh, could I, you know, let's let's play out the apocalyptic scenario. Uh, the government acts into Google server and they find out that I go to the mall. Uh, I, personally, I don't care because the sheer utility that I get from that traffic card in the Google app that it tells me, well, maybe it's not the best time to go to the mall at 6 p.m. Maybe you should go at, you know, 7.30 because there's left traffic that's far better for me than the peace of mind of knowing yes i'm totally secure the government doesn't know that i got to the mall i mean at one point you just start feeling paranoid about you know the government or hackers knowing that you go to the mall that you go someplace i do understand why people are turned off by that i used to be one of those people again i just want to stress this very clearly i used to be of the belief that no company should ever know my habits or what i do or my taste but at some point i just want to save time and google now amazon echo they do that kind of stuff they're either siri or 
we can we could talk about the proactive page on iOS nine. They do stuff that those features don't offer me. So I understand people's position that my privacy is important and I don't want to use Google and Amazon. And I don't understand people who take it to the extreme like I'm switching to DuckDuckGo because the results aren't as good as Google, but man, they do care about privacy. And I don't understand people who are like, I'm never going to shop on Amazon again because they're creepy and they do, you know, these features. Uh, But okay. But also, I feel like those people should also understand the opposite position of folks like us uh, saying, well, you know, I get it. I'm giving up a little of my information, but at the end of the day, uh, this stuff is useful. You know? I'm sure long-time listeners will remember the many shouting matches that yes. me and you had about this exact see, thing, right? Isn't it much better that yes. I change my That's opinion? I'm trying to tell you at the time. I will. I strongly believe that changing an opinion is much, much better than holding that opinion as true, even if it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, saying that you're not wrong, but just growing up. I don't changing. think I was wrong. I, I just I'm changing. That's better. I'm like a butterfly. You are. You are just like a butterfly. <laughs> All right. Is that it on Siri? Yeah, I think. I think so. so. Okay. Let me take a break. This week's episode is brought to you by PCALC. PCALC is a practically omnipresent scientific calculator app that has been actively developed for 23 years. You can get PCALC on your iPhone, your iPad, your Mac, your Apple Watch, and even your Apple TV. PCALC is always there supporting the latest technologies like split screen on iPad, which makes it perfect for the iPad Pro, so you can be doing your calculations alongside other apps. I do this all the time. I was doing it today, actually. I had uh, I had a spreadsheet open, and I was putting in some entries, and I had PCALC on the other side to do some calculations for me. And on the Apple TV, PCALC even features gamepad support. In case that's the thing that you want to do, you could do that. One of PCALC's best features on iOS is that you can create your own completely custom calculator layouts and assign functions and specific unit conversions to dedicated buttons. So, with, for example, this is how I have a, I have a very simple layout because you can remove the buttons you don't need. And I made the buttons that I do need bigger so it's easier for me to use and see. And then I added two custom functions into my PCALC layout. I have one that will take the current answer and convert it from dollars to pounds. So if I'm working out something like how much I'm paying myself, I can work out what it is. And then I have one that subtracts 30% from the current total to help me put money aside for my taxes. I think you're starting to get a picture of what I do with PCALC. I I use it to work out my finances. Um, It really is fantastic. It has great themes as well. Um, I use a really space age looking theme, but there are more classic designed kind of slightly skeuomorphic designs based on some real life calculators as well. If that's the type of thing that you're looking for. PCALC has a place on my home screen. It is the best calculator that I've ever used. And I mean that I really do love it. There is a calculator available in control center but it's not the one that I use. I use PCALC. Can I just, real quick, uh, I love PCALC. Like, I, I really do. Um, I, I love James Thompson. He's a genius. But I want to say, on the iPad, I mean, I generally love the guy. Uh, yeah. But on the iPad, the app is excellent. There's no calculator on the iPad, which is a joke. But thankfully, there's PCALC, and it supports uh, split view and slide over. So when I was doing my taxes on my iPad uh, a couple of months ago, I 
I was so much faster than the previous years when I used to keep um, a calculator on my phone next to my computer or next to my iPad to do calculations when I would when I was doing taxis. Now I was able to like work in Excel on one side and pcalc on the other, and then I uh, could switch you know between Excel and Safari. Pcalc was always there on the right side of the screen. It was glorious. You know, I saved so much time with multitasking and pcalc on the iPad, and this is really not from you know the sponsor read. It's just my true experience from uh, a couple of months ago i really really love peacock yeah there you go (laughs) it's true it's a great it's an absolutely fantastic app you can find out more about peacock by going to peacock.com slash relay that's p-c-a-l-c.com slash relay thank you so much to peacock and the great developer mr james thompson for supporting connected and relay fm i've shared meals and drinks with james he is one of my very favorite people. All right, so uh, I wanted to bring up a blog post from the wonderful developer and iOS miner. Like he digs yes. into iOS and finds things. Uh, Mr. Crazy. Steve Trouton Smith. <laughs> I can't even think of a way to like introduce him correctly. Because he iOS is a- madman. There he's, you go. He's, he's probably iOS uh, own Leonardo da Vinci. He's like say. the Willy Wonka of iOS. I'll <laughs> 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 we'll just keep going. Uh, he wrote a great post uh, called the WWDC Wishlist, where he digs into some real specific things that he would like to be changed um, in Apple's many platforms, and also some big picture stuff, like, for example, a unified app platform for iOS and OS X, which is a really interesting thing. I urge you to go and read the post. We'll put a link in our show notes. But we each picked a few of the specific things that interest us, and we want to talk about them. And Stephen, I believe you wanted to start. Yeah, so leading up to WDC, we're going to see a lot of this stuff. But what I like about this particular list is that it's very nerdy. And the the one that jumped out at me um, is the command key on the software iPad keyboard. So if you have the smart keyboard or, of course, uh, you know, regular Bluetooth keyboard, you have a command key. And keyboards... Keyboard shortcut support in iOS is is really better than ever. A lot of developers are adding it. Um, But it seems silly to me that that's locked away for people who just have a hardware keyboard. And I understand that it may be confusing to people. Maybe it's it's a toggle somewhere to turn it on or off on the software keyboard. But I think that it's keyboard shortcuts are, while while they are a, a remnant from a time past of personal computing uh, i think they still have a place uh in our touchscreen ios world but i believe that one of us disagrees with me i i i strongly disagree with the idea of having uh shortcuts come to the software keyboard because it kind of defeats the whole point of the separation between physical input with the, the external keyboard and the touch input with the software one uh when you're, I feel like when I'm using the software keyboard, uh, the commands that are exposed to shortcuts to for hardware keyboards, they're built into an app's interface. When I'm using the software keyboard, I don't want, I don't need to have a shortcut to create a new document because there's a plus button right there that I can just touch. If I feel like adding a command key to the software keyboard to replicate shortcuts that are otherwise available directly on screen would just add complexity to the keyboard that is not, not necessary. I would make the argument that this should be an iPad Pro feature. 
and not the <sighs> others. And not the others. I mean, yeah, I mean, they already have another keyboard. And, Keyboard's uh, may- bigger, right? Yes. And also, the smart keyboard is, what I have noticed, clearly encouraging developers to put more keyboard shortcuts in their apps. Yep. And, and Federico, I disagree with your, basically, your whole thing, because... <laughs> I um, disagree with everything okay. you are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> disagree with all your life decisions. Um no, no. I, I, I get what you're saying that that keyboard shortcuts can add some sort of level of complexity that you may not want. But I think I think that is true if you if you tie things only to keyboard shortcuts, right? Like there are some apps that I use on the Mac that um, the menu system is so ridiculous that uh, it's just easier to know the keyboard shortcuts that I need to use, or something like Logic that's very keyboard driven. Um, you know, that that's one thing. But I think that there is room for for developers to use keyboard shortcuts. Um, to mimic or to to uh, have things that the on-screen buttons and UI expose, but to have them uh, available for people who want to use them on the keyboard, not not forcing a decision, but saying, hey, you know what, you, you can reach up and tap that button, or if you're already on the software keyboard and it's faster and you prefer it that way, um, go hit the command key. And that's the way it works on the Mac, right? It's the way it works on, on desktop computers. And I think I think that it can make sense on iOS. I agree with you. I don't want developers to be like stashing things behind keyboard shortcuts and not having them in the UI and and adding complexity that way. But I don't think that just having them as a parallel option necessarily adds complexity to an app. Yeah, I disagree. (laughs) uh, What did they say? Agree to disagree. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Mike, take us us to the next point. No, no, I'm not done. Uh, (laughs) Because I really feel that it shouldn't be on all iPads, but I I do think it should be on the iPad Pro. It feels like a pro feature. It would fit on the keyboard. And if you are using the physical keyboard so much as I am, when you use the software keyboard, I would like them to be there. I understand why you're coming from where you're coming from, Federico, and I, and I do get it, because it's not like with a keyboard. The reason keyboard shortcuts exist is because your hands are on the keyboard. On the software keyboard, your hands are on the screen that already has the button, right? So I get that, but I'm starting to see now more and more keyboard shortcuts that activate things that would take multiple taps or that are not immediately on screen because people are baking in more and more complex things. So I think it might be nice in some areas, but I see where you're both coming from with your arguments. Okay, so let me let me counter with this. <laughs> the, we, we lose an hour to this. <laughs> having this discussion on shortcuts for the software keyboard feels to me like Mac people coming to iOS and be like, well, you know, we want the command key on the software keyboard. The same argument could be made for iOS people going to the Mac and saying, well, you know, I want to touch the screen. And whenever you bring that up, Mac folks tell you, well, you know, Mac is not made for touching the screen because the interface is not made for that. That's iOS. And to me, there's a, it feels like a clear line in the sand. Uh, on the Mac, you have shortcuts. Well, on physical keyboards, but for the iPad, you have shortcuts because it makes sense there. But when you're touching the screen, you're on iOS, you interact with the interface, you don't touch the screen on the Mac. It's really a similar argument, the way that I look at it. Uh, I, I see why it would be nice, right? I understand why it would be nice. I just feel like it would do 
more bad than good to to the iPad. But we'll see, right? I mean, there's Julius yeah. coming up. <laughs> All right, this one is probably going to confuse many people. Uh, one of the things on, on Steve's list that I like is system-level drawing a markup. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> the, the whole thing I was campaigning against uh, with the Apple Pencil. So I think that this is a fantastic idea for a feature, for me to be able, to, at any point, to be able to draw on the screen and leave lines and, and, and show things. Uh, but... My argument, which uh, me and Gray were talking about this on an episode of Cortex, this should definitely be there, uh, but it should be invoked by some kind of button or shortcut um, of some description. Not a keyboard shortcut, of course, uh, because we shouldn't have those, right, Federico? But there could be a button, or Gray came up with the idea, which I like, is a, a button you hit in Control Center, which turns the UI to only react to drawing with the pencil, like you can't move the UI at that point. I, I, I I just feel like it would be, maybe it could be even simpler than that. Apple could just make uh, an API to implement a generic uh, drawing view, just like there's a yeah. UI text field. That's uh, what I mean, like you hit a button in an app, which lets not, you draw on the app. Yeah, exactly. There's, like, there's no need for a control center shortcut to enable that. Like any app could just have a, a little box where it's like, you want to draw here? Okay, bring this up and you can only draw. Yeah, but then you've got a Google app, right? <laughs> and then they won't put it in for a year, which might be nice. So, yeah, that, that's, that's the reason that I would suggest putting it in the OS. Like oh, to force system. it. To force it. On, yeah. On, oh, okay. To, to force it upon developers that might not necessarily <laughs> put it in on their own. That, 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 uh, I don't know. I mean, Apple could, you could even say that Apple could force apps to support multitasking right now. If they add, you know, if they support the iPad Pro full resolution but not multitasking, there's a, I believe there's a toggle. I mean, Stephen Troughton Smith knows this stuff. Uh, you can force apps to adopt split view even if they don't officially support split view. Uh, I guess you could uh, also force to support this stuff. I don't know. I, I, I struggle to imagine Apple making a, a, a toggle in Control Center and be yeah. like, well, w screw you. Now you support the Apple Pencil the way that we envisioned. <laughs> uh, I think they should be like that sometimes with <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to save developers the time to you know, recreate the drawing engine and feature of the Notes app, you know? The whole, the whole OpenGL uh, engine, it's super smooth. Uh, the tool, the basic tools, uh, they could benefit a lot of app, a lot of apps. Like, just imagine if, for example, it was a keyboard uh, feature, like on the iPad Pro, uh, or you know, uh, you could have. I'm serious here. No, I'm I know. It's just, would you make that a shortcut key or? No, oh. no, no. Like, ima <laughs> imagine if you if you would make drawings like. Uh, a, a default way of send of, of communicating with people, the same way that you can choose between text and emoji. Imagine if you could have a drawing mode to send a sketch to uh, anyone all yeah. the time, right? Uh, it's really similar to the way that you can send sketches on the Apple Watch. Only that's terrible, and with the pencil, it would actually be nice, you know? Yeah. All right, Federico, why don't you move on with our next point? So this uh, is also something that I've been thinking about for my iOS 10 uh, wish lists, uh, a drag and drop between apps. I assume in multitasking, it's what we're looking for. Um, I, I believe it would be super tricky 
to get it right. But it also, again, like Siri, it feels like the right thing to do to enable users to uh, drag and drop content between apps. So I've been thinking about this uh, uh, really deeply because I'm in the process of, again, putting together my annual uh, wishes. Um, the problem that I see is coming up with a solution that doesn't cause conflicts with the copy and paste menu, which is now copy, paste, define, and share menu is the, the full name, I guess. Um, having that menu and having drag and drop uh, can be tricky because the moment that you're selecting text, so let's just say you want to select some text and drop it into a document. Easy enough on the Mac, you just select text and you drop it into the, the document next to it. Uh, on iOS, you would have the text selection controls, the copy and paste menu above that, and then you would be able to drag it and drop it into another app. Um, it could cause some confusion to have all those things going on at once, you know, copy and paste menu, selection, and drag and drop. So my idea is the copy and paste menu stay mostly the same, uh, in terms of functionality, um, the copy and paste menu always appears uh, in a way that doesn't obstruct the content that you're selecting. Uh, so that would stay the same. Uh, but I imagine you could keep pressing on a selection, whether it's document or whether it's text or an image, and you would enter a special dragging mode. Uh, so this, this would take like half a second, maybe. And then with that special mode, you would be able to drop it into another app. Uh, it's also a question of why would you want to drag and drop? So I'm going to the very basic level here. Why do we want to be able to drag and drop? So I believe the, 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 what I would want to see is a way to save time and to use the clipboard less. So the only way right now, if you have two applications up front on screen, um, the only way to exchange data between them is to either use the copy and paste menu or to use extensions from those apps while those apps are in the foreground, which is super <laughs> a super hacky way to exchange information. Uh, often when you use an extension for an app that is already in the foreground, you need to close and reopen the app for the extension to show you the new data. Uh, and I would love to have a way to move information from one app to the other. So that's the basic requirement. Um, actual examples would be, um, I'm sending a new tweet and I want to attach uh, a link or an image from Safari. Well, I should just be able to drag and drop it from Safari to the tweet you know, box, whatever it's, it's called. Uh, or I'm working on a document. Uh, so I have pages on one side and a collection of images on the other side. I shouldn't have to copy one image after the other and paste it. I shouldn't have to go through the document provider to, you know, pick one image at a time. I should just be able to select those five images, use my finger and drop them into the document. It's, it's one of those features that on the surface, it feels like, well, it's Apple taking features from OS X and bringing them to the iPad. But if you think about it, uh, drag and drop, makes perfect sense for multi-touch you know uh, for a big screen use your fingers you directly touch an object and you place it from you know you put it from one place into another and so i've heard from a very second hand rumor type of thing that 
a system framework like this is in the works, um, I mean, it has to be right. It's so obvious. Um, and I heard this when, uh, when um, maybe last month, uh, we, I covered on Mac Stories um, this uh, third-party framework to bring uh, drag and drop to split view on iOS 9. I think it was called Dragon Drop. It was a clever uh, joke. Um, and I've heard that Apple is, you know, considering a system framework to let developers do this stuff natively. And, I mean, it makes total sense to me, just like a Siri API does. The implementation could be tricky, but I feel like it's time to stop uh, using the clipboard extensions or document pickers to move information and files slowly from one place to another core dragon core dragon yeah dragon drop is an Dra- application is an app for the mac right dragon yes. Dra- yeah core dragon yeah i tell you what, one of the things i would really like from this um is when i'm copying text from one window like one app to another which i do quite a lot um, I I would like to. I think drag and drop would be nicer than selecting it, tapping, tapping copy, going over here, tapping and holding, and yeah. then pressing paste. Right. I I think it would just be like selecting it and holding it and then just dragging it over. I would like that. That would be nice. Uh, I would say, whilst I don't think that this is going to happen for a while, uh, a 3D touch action would really help with drag and drop. You think so? Well, it's like if you force press on something and hold, you get the ability to just move it without ever needing to invoke any kind of uh, buttons. It might might be tricky to do, but I think it might be nice. It would be a thing you could do with it. Yeah, maybe. uh, The main problem is I don't know if 3D Touch is coming to to the iPad Pro. That's what I mean. I don't think... I think it will one day. I think we're a long way away from it happening. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it makes total sense. Just, you know, we'll see. What do we have next? Uh, up next, there's a section about UIKit apps coming to the watch. Oh, So, yeah. um, you know, WatchKit, even in WatchOS 2.0, is still uh, pretty weak sauce compared to full UIKit, which is used, of course, to build apps um, for iPhone and, and the iPad. And... Um, I agree with him that he thinks that if if the watch is going to succeed as an app platform that they need to to bring UIKit to it. Um, I'm not convinced the watch needs to be a successful app platform, but that's my hang-up. Um, but he does go on to say that he's not convinced that the first-generation hardware could could drive this sort of thing. And, you know, Dan Morn had a piece on Six Colors about the speed of the of the Apple Watch being, like, the big killer in his mind of, of, you know, something that promises to be faster, but it's not actually faster. And, uh, that would obviously, I think would be worse, you know, if you're running UI kit, but if they can rev the hardware and make that system on chip faster, then maybe it opens up some more interesting, you know, opportunities for apps to be more responsive. And I, I don't know if, I don't think this would fix the data transfer rate issue. That seems to be a problem as well, but if it helps, you know, with things like launch time and just overall responsiveness, then I think that would that would be a good thing. Like when you hit a button and it recognizes the button's been pressed. Oh my god! Do anything? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, That's confirm. Think, uh, okay, the button's been pressed. Last week, no. I, uh, 
I was using a watch app and I pressed the button like three times and it shows you the, the visual feedback right yep. when the button is depressed. Yep. It shows you and it did nothing. I was like, nothing. you know, screw it, whatever. I'm just going to pick up my iPhone. Oh, Apple Watch, you make me so sad. Yeah. All right, last one. Uh, all system iOS apps should support split screen. Like, I can't even believe this is a thing. <laughs> yes. It's like we're complaining about Google, right? <laughs> Yeah. But there are Apple apps that aren't split screen, like the apps, like any store, anything that has a store. Why is, is that? Not, I have no idea. Web objects, probably. My, I've <laughs> seen people put up that excuse, but why is web objects has to do with it? I have no idea. I'm just There's... running the meme. <laughs> like, I don't know. So you're just you're just repeating what you heard. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I do that That's a lot, I'm... actually. That's my job, I think. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, there's an iPhone version of uh, of the App Store, you know, the iTunes Store. So there's a way to have smaller layouts mm-hmm. of those stores. Um, I've seen the security argument come up. Well, what? I have no idea. <laughs> Why wouldn't you be able to use a store in multitasking? It's the three-quarter uh, view, man. That three-quarter view is super unsafe. I don't know. Man. FBI, uh, probably. Well, it doesn't make wow. any sense. I don't Maybe it's, you know, just resource constrained. Uh, for some reason, those teams couldn't come up with a way to show you the apps are multitasking. I mean, it does, just doesn't make any sense. And it is weird, like the settings app as well. It's like, again, an iOS version exists. It's very peculiar. Yeah. You know, uh, this comes up... Uh, a lot with Apple Music for me. Uh, when I'm listening to music and I just want to be able to control playback next to what I'm doing, you know, um, maybe I'm I'm listening to a new album or you know I'm browsing the new releases and it I don't understand why it doesn't super multitasking, uh, you know. Have you guys? While we're on the topic, uh, just one last question: Have you guys thought about? Using three apps at the same time on an iPad yeah, Pro, yeah, quite quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. I I admit I haven't wanted to say it because it, I it, I feel greedy. Um, but yeah, I have very frequently wanted to have the ability <laughs> to greedy? have three apps. Well, because we've only just got two, right? So you feel like you're always asking for more. Yeah, and then and then when they put three, ah, I want four. <laughs> Give me a quarter of each screen. So I haven't mm. said it, but yes, I very frequently want three apps. But then, again, I know when I get three, I will want four. There will be a reason, and I'll be like, I want four apps now. It's weird mm. I can do that on my Mac. <clears throat> it's too bad all the apps suck, and nobody's bothering to develop the of them anymore. That's not untrue. Moving on. <laughs> it's like, you can put all the apps you want side by side, but there's no new ones. Just Chrome windows all the way down. Yep. So what's next? That's it? it. That's it. That's that's what I picked. That's out. our that's our list. I guess we're saving we're saving iOS ten and OS ten uh, ten point twelve wishes for a proper episode. But yeah, it was too fun to to look at this uh, article by Stephen because it, it, I mean it's uh, it raised really some excellent points. I yeah. mean I'm I'm still I'm still thinking about the shortcut key on the iPad keyboard. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you guys have a point. Maybe I'm just. You remember how you changed your opinion about Google? Yeah, maybe yeah, this is why I get with the shortcut key. <laughs> <laughs> it's too soon, Mike. It's too soon. I'm like, uh, I'm like, what did they say? Uh, uh, Saint Thomas. I need to, I need to touch it before I believe it. You know, 
That's like a Christian thing, I believe. Why do I am, am I, I thinking of that? I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, so, uh, Stephen, come on! You're 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 a, that kind of person. You know this stuff. <laughs> Fine <laughs> line here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> a fun way to close the show. Yeah, uh, he didn't believe that Jesus was alive. So he see, had to see, touch him. it's same Thomas. And he, and he ate some fish in front of him. And you won't believe what happened next. He touched him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I need to try this iPad keyboard. I'm not saying that I'm that I'm a saint, but I'm you know just a way oh of God. life. Uh, Try before you buy, if you will. Please end this, Mike. <laughs> if you'd like to find our show notes, head on over to relay.fm slash connected slash 80. If you want to find Federico online, he is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I on Twitter. And he writes over at maxstories.net. Stephen is at ISMH and he writes at 512pixels.net. And I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, PCALC and Braintree. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.